I've always had a problem with one very specific call in the NHL. Well, really, it's not just in the NHL. It's all hockey leagues. There's one very specific penalty that's always troubled me because I kind of feel like it should reside in the Department of Redundancy Department. Like, you know how people say general consensus as opposed to consensus or in hockey people will say the slot area as opposed to I don't know slot there's a lot of useless words that we have in this sport there's plenty of them you probably have your own too slot area has always kind of been a pet peeve as is original six but that is for another day as we've joked about before there's original one that's the Montreal Canadiens everybody else is an expansion team shh but there's one penalty. <laughs> there's what? Sorry, I'm a little giddy on this Friday afternoon slash morning. There's one penalty that's always bothered me. And yesterday, Jordan Bennington was suspended for two games for his actions against Ryan Hartman of the Chicago of the um, uh, of the Minnesota Wild, etc., 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 etc. There's the penalty that's always bothered me is unsportsmanlike conduct. Because if hockey started today. I don't know if you ever do this. I do this all the time. If hockey started today, could you not completely disregard the differentiation of penalties and just call all of them unsportsmanlike conduct? Think for one second. Like, there's the old saying, you know, the, 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 the man of the university learns something every day. The man of the Tao unlearns something every day. Let's unlearn a lot of things that we've always assumed about hockey, starting with penalties. Let's just imagine that when someone takes their stick and hits you across the shin pads or against your stick or against your wrist, that there's no such thing called slashing. Could you not also just call that unsportsmanlike? Let's say player X was on a breakaway and got hauled down, fouled, skates taken out from under him or her. Let's imagine that the term tripping didn't exist. Could you not call that unsportsmanlike? Even something as simple or perhaps some might say innocent as puck over the glass, you know, artificially ending the play relieving all the pressure by throwing the object of play into the stands deliberately or now otherwise just in general could you not also call that unsportsmanlike i don't know why things like this bug me <laughs> maybe it's a little peek into my brain but whenever i hear the penalty unsportsmanlike conduct i kind of think all penalties are unsportsmanlike conduct don't you I know we differentiate them, but why do we have this little pocket here? This little area where we say, this is slashing, this is hooking, this is high sticking, this is fighting, this is puck over glass, this is too many players on the ice, etc. This is unsportsmanlike conduct. My point has always been, it's all unsportsmanlike conduct. Anyway, just wanted to get that off my chest to kick off the show today. Um, Elliot Friedman is away again today. He's taken a couple of days off in Florida uh, before he gets back to regular duties tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada and then regular podcast and radio show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, next week. Um, so in the meantime, Shannon Goldman is going to be joining me here in a couple of moments. Uh, we'll talk about a few things. We should probably talk about that... <sighs> 
I don't even know how to describe it. That thing we saw yesterday between the Florida Panthers and the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know what that thing was. That beast of a game. That untamed, un, that untamed game that went into uncharted territories at times, specifically in the first period. We'll get on that page. We'll also talk about that game with George Richards from Florida Hockey Now in Hour 2. And don't look now, but are the Florida Panthers maybe going to make the playoffs? Maybe? Talk to George Richards about that in hour two. Jonathan Davis uh, will be stopping by at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about all things California hockey and elsewhere as well. Should probably get on the Seattle page as well with JD uh, from NHL Network Radio and the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. He'll be stopping by here in about 30 minutes' time. Um, tough one last night for Vegas. Great one for Calgary. First time ever. Big win, and Tyler Toffoli is front and center with four points. Um, the Calgary Flames, three points back of Winnipeg who continue to take aim at their own skates. They lose last night to the Boston Bruins. The West has not been kind to Boston, as we have seen. This road trip has not been good to Jim Montgomery's squad. That is, you know, until they rolled into a game against the Winnipeg Jets. Um, The Calgary Flames now three points back of Winnipeg as the Winnipeg Jets lose 3-0 to Boston, and everybody in Manitoba is saying, dude, where's my playoff spot? Dude, we thought this thing, we had this thing wrapped up. We thought, okay, maybe there's going to be a little bit more come trade deadline time, but Nino Ryder is very nice and fits well. And I think hockey fans now in Manitoba are saying, hold on a second here. You mean to tell me there might not be any playoffs for us and that all these players are on expiring contracts next season? And are we really going to squander a season's performance, the likes of which we spotlight Connor Hellebuck or Josh Morrissey? Really? Nervous times in Manitoba, folks. Nervous times in Winnipeg. Ottawa lose to Colorado, meanwhile, 5-4. to four. Um, Second half of a back-to-back for the Colorado Avalanche. And you hate to say it, but I'm going to anyway. The game-winning goal. Well, it turned into the game-winning goal. The Lars Eller goal on Mad Sogard after thought it was going to be icing. Maybe thought there was a whistle and stopped playing. Lars Eller had the easiest goal of his career, which turned into the game-winning goal. Is that Ottawa's season right there in a nutshell? That's probably too harsh. But nonetheless, we should maybe begin there with uh, with Shana. No, we'll do the Habs and the Florida Panthers. Uh, Shana Goldman joins me now from the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Uh, Shana, am I allowed to tell people what you texted me last night? Yeah, of course. So it was my favorite text, and I'm still laughing about it now. So Shane and I were texting last night about the Florida Panthers-Montreal Canadiens game, which was insane. Let me <laughs> let me make sure that I have it right here. Let me just grab your text uh, from last night. Do, 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 do. Uh, Shane Goldman, last night, 840 Eastern. No goaltending, just vibes. <laughs> What was your comment to me last night on that game? No goaltending, just vibes. <laughs> you want to start there with that thing we saw last night between these two teams? Yeah, that was, that was. I guess you could call it a game. It was exciting. It was interesting. Um, it was really something to see Sam Montembault get pulled first when he wasn't even the worst goaltender out there. I think at the time he originally <laughs> got pulled, Bobrovsky was over 3 on shots against. Um, I think in total he allowed... 
if my math is right, I think it was like three goals above expected in all situations based on the workload he faced. And he, you know, at first he bad? wasn't even tested. Sorry, say that again. Yeah. It was, is that bad, Shana? I'm new to hockey. Is that bad? I've been told it's bad. I've been told you could watch the game and figure it out just as much. But, you know, from our math hmm. calculations, it's also bad. So if the two are in gotcha. tandem, you really did something wrong, right? Uh, yes, that's what that gets to that special spot where, where both sides are satisfied in, 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 in abusing the netminder. Um, like it was a, it was a fun game. I don't know how much we we read into it for either team or any of those goaltenders. I kind of take games like that from both sides, whether you're the Florida Panthers or you're the Montreal Canadiens and just sort of crumple it up and say, oof, okay, that doesn't happen very often. Let's just move along here now. But don't look now. Dare we say the Florida Panthers are starting to flirt with a playoff spot? Shayna, are you on Team Cat yet? (laughs) I'm on Team Chaos. I'm on Team I don't want the standings decided until the last day of the season. I am on Team let's get this as wild as humanly possible. Um, I think there's two things we can take out of this game, though. One... I think we need to rotate goaltenders more often. I'm not a goalie expert. Uh, I don't think anyone truly understands goalies, but actual goalies. uh, I would have liked to see Allen get pulled a little sooner and just see if you can keep refreshing the team. And I know that it's not great for every goalie psyche, and I think it really depends on who's in net to decide whether or not you can do that. But just rotate them. Mm -hmm. Why not? No no one's playing goal, so it doesn't matter. Throw a defenseman in there. The other uh, aspect of it that I think is the legitimately important one is that the Florida Panthers this year have been generating a ton of offense and they just don't finish their chances. Apparently they wanted that, you know, expected goal generation to regress to actual goals in one single game. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm super curious if they can keep this up, you know, like w- we see it all season. Sure. It's a weaker squad than last year. The forward depth isn't as strong as it was, but they're creating chances. And generally speaking, when you create chances at a high rate, like they do, you're going to start connecting on them more mm-hmm. often and, It'll be a more sustainable offensive generation if you have the chances below the goal scoring to support it. They have it. So could this suddenly be their luck turning around? I don't know. Maybe this was all the goal scoring they have and they're going to go back to normal after this. <laughs> well, you know, the, it, it's interesting, too, because the touchstone of all of it, and there he was last night with four points, uh, Matthew Kuchuk. Um, We look at everything that happened between the Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers last summer. And the names up for grabs here are Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Wieger and Nazem Kadri and Johnny Gaudreau to Columbus and Matthew Kachuk to the, to the Florida Panthers. Still, we're in a position right now, despite the big win last night for the Calgary Flames and how the Winnipeg Jets are tumbling dice right now in the in their in their conference. Um, we looked at that and said, "Isn't it bizarre that everybody that was involved uh, with Calgary?" whether going to Calgary or leaving Calgary, none of those players will make the playoffs. Like, certainly the Columbus players won't. Um, Still up for grabs. Uh, Everyone who entered Calgary uh, last season, or the beginning of this season, uh, and that is, of course, Hubert O'Weager and Nassim Kadri. And then for the Florida Panthers, uh, Matthew Kachuk. But doesn't it feel to you like when you look at all the players that were involved in movement, going to Calgary or leaving Calgary, Matthew Kachuk's the only one that really worked out as expected. Like, Huberto's had an awful season. Uyghur, I mean, we kept hearing around trade deadline that his name was was even out there. We'll wonder if that conversation picks up in the offseason. Johnny Gaudreau's situation uh, has been well told. Matthew Kachuk's the only one that comes out kind of shining here. 
Yeah, I feel like this trade, they should have exchanged a little bit of sage or some crystals or something like that. And maybe that's why <laughs> this has all gone south. But if you look at every player that was involved in that player movement, Johnny Gaudreau, I think, is arguably yeah. the best player of the bunch. But right below him is Matthew Kachuk. When you look at the Flames-Panthers trade, Matthew Kachuk was the star of that trade. It, we don't see players like him get moved you know, via trade often. He is an elite, mm. elite, elite player. And I know there were some questions of what would he do without Johnny Gaudreau and Elias Lindholm? And he's showing he doesn't need anybody. He doesn't even play with Barkov all the time. And he's still managing to absolutely yeah. thrive. Perfect passer, perfect shooter, you know, ton of skill Can play that net front role has the bite that you want in the physical play. And he's, you know, fine defensively too. There's so much to like about his game, but with, you know, Jonathan Huberto last year, you know, the two of us looked at the best pa passers of the league and everybody thought it was going to be a slam dunk for Huberto. Yep. And by doing that and collecting the data, it really allowed me to dig into his points and not just the fact that we know so many of his points were secondary, but just how much it was a power play influence. And when you really broke down the five on five numbers, the fact that he was outside the top five in shot assists and passes to the slot and everything that you want to see in theory, the best passer in the league do so while i think there's so much hype behind his scoring it showed some of the weaknesses when you dug a little deeper and looked past the scoring which is not to knock him he's a good player mm. he's a great player but for what he truly is yeah. and in calgary you know sure with kadri i think in those minutes they have it because kadri's a good dual threat and a great shooter but it's so different from being in the offensive systems that florida has and while it should help huberto to have that defensive support because he does kind of float for a lot of his shifts, and he's really not that strong back in his own zone. We thought the structure would help. It seems like the structure now is weighing on his game too much, and the fact that there's not another offensive you know, dynamic forward on his line is kind of crushing him. So it, it's a tough look for him. Maybe he'll bounce back. I, I think coaching has a lot to do with it. I, I You know, beating a dead horse all year saying it, but it, it is really interesting yeah. when you go head-to-head -head with the forwards that way. You know, the thing about, see that, that's, listen, you and I talked about this, geez, last, when did we do that, that little experiment with the best pastors and the best playmakers? And it was the last spring and uh, Robert Thomas came out a real star uh, out of all of, yep. the, of the St. Louis Blues. But the, the one thing coming out of Calgary, it's interesting too, because there's been a lot of, listen, there's been a lot of oxygen that's been sucked up in the room, um, you know, talking about Jonathan Huberto and what's happened and what needs to happen and what Calgary needs to do. And part of the conversation sort of settles around this idea that Huberto performs well when he's playing with players that are fast because they push defense back and help create ice for Jonathan Huberto to work in. Um, based on what you've been able to distill, um, whether it's eyeballs or numbers here, whether it's the eyeballs or the brains, um, is that sympathetic with what you believe about Jonathan Huberto, that he needs someone quick with him. I mean, Anthony Declare is the obvious example. I don't know. Calgary goes out and tries to bring in Declare in the offseason specifically to help this investment they have for, for a number of years. But he does better when he has someone with speed that can help make ice for him. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps too because like he's someone that you'll see floating towards the top of the defensive zone. He doesn't do the work down low. And it's fine. Not every forward is cut out to be like the perfect two-way player. You just have to properly support that type of player's game, right? And in his case, there's a lot of ways his game needs to be supported so he can be at, you know, maximum levels. He needs someone to do the dirty work down mm -hmm. low to get the puck and retrieve it and send it up to him so he can, you know, work his magic. And because he's not, he's a good shooter, but, you know, 
we know him for his passing and playmaking. It helps to have someone who can then quickly get up the ice to catch up to him and be ready to receive, you know, ideally like a lateral pass that'll lead to a scoring chance off the rush. Like that is the bread and butter of his game. And I think the flames, it's not like it's hard to know this about him though, at this point in his career. And I don't know if maybe people get so blinded by the points that they think that they don't need anybody. But if you watch Huberto's game for five seconds, you can kind of get this gist. This is what he needs and that's okay. So it's not like it should mm-hmm. be a surprise to the Flames this is what he needs to succeed. It was on them t- to make sure they had that. And, yes, they made a ton of change, and maybe they thought they didn't want to go too much change at a certain point. I really couldn't say. But it feels like all the answers were there that they needed to figure out how to put him in the best position, and they they haven't done so. Yes, they worked on you know the defensive structure, and he's been a lot better defensively this year. He, it's, not, it's not as much of a liability because of the team around him but you still need to make his game pop offensively and he needs that help. Mm-hmm. Um, mentioned Anthony DeClaire a couple of seconds ago at your latest piece, your, your latest piece at The Athletic, by the way. Um, a couple of players that you talk about are, are intriguing to me. And, you know, this is, you know, the fantasy waiver wire and don't sleep on and pay attention to. And Anthony DeClaire is one of them. Um, I always, like, I, there's two injuries that I'm really sort of funky with. Uh, anything involving the hip, and that's why my heart is just breaking for Sam Gagne right now. Anything with the hip, I always give players a year's grace. Like the following season, I just say, write it off. Uh, I'm going to take all the numbers and throw them in the garbage because that's how long it takes to recover from hip surgery, which is kind of what makes Brad Marchand kind of a freak here. Um, but anything, anything with the Achilles as well, um, and I think what happened to Max Pacioretty, anybody who's had an Achilles injury, uh, like Anthony DeClaire probably looked at it and said, you know what, I am not going to rush back. I am going to really take my time here. I don't know if that's in the back of his head, being tentative. I don't know. But what are your thoughts on Anthony DeClaire and his value with the Cats? Yeah, I agree with you on the two injuries you said. And Brad Marchand definitely is the exception. He just feeds off everybody's energy, Freak. and that's why he's so good. It, it's it's so strange. Everyone's yeah. going to like talk about him like, oh, he's going to be slow, and that's that's what's fueling him to you know prove everybody wrong, and then dunk on them about you know on mm. Twitter about it. But with Duclair, like if you look at the Panthers, what's the best position to succeed? It's going to be either with Matthew Kachuk or with Barkov. He's got Barkov, and that's really good for him because Duclair's biggest weakness is his defense. So he has someone that bounces him out that way you have Barkov who's really good in transition and is a really strong playmaker and he's a good finisher so you have that all-around talent to play alongside it's as ideal as it gets but what so far we can see from him and small samples do blow this up a bit because if you say you have 10 games and in seven of the 10 games you do amazing it's gonna look like you're off the charts incredible lead one of the best players around so you have to take it in stride but what we know about his game is that he's really good at generating chances And in most cases, he's really good at finishing his chances. So this year, already Mm. in a very small sample, we're seeing that he's creating those chances. You know, his individual expected goal rate, uh, five on five per 60, is so when we account for his ice time, is the best on the team. Again, small samples really blow this out of proportion, but it's not like this is a weird place for him to be. We expect him to be up there. The difference is right now he's not finishing those chances. He hasn't played in a minute. You know, he's he's getting his footing back, and the timing, I think, takes a minute. And getting those connections, it's a new team, it's a new system, it's a new style they're trying to play. Whether or not it goes along with the roster construction is another conversation entirely. But, you know, you put all that together, mm-hmm. and it makes sense that the timing might be off a little bit, but the chances are there. So if the chances are consistently there, 
what we know is generally speaking, the goal scoring follows. So he just has to keep up with it. So I think that, you know, when they need the scoring, which is going to be down the stretch, they're going to have it. They really needed more finishers this year. That's what they've been missing. And now they have one back. So I think it's only a matter of time before he starts putting up numbers on the score sheet. When anyone says good player, but just for whatever reason, hasn't been able to finish, you know who I always think of? Like always. And I'm really cheering for this guy and I really hope that it works out. Um, So, you know, you mentioned Brad Marchand dunking on people on Twitter. He can do the same, albeit in finish. Yes, Apollo oh, Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Who, that is red red line to red line to red line I think is awesome. The problem is there's in in the sport there's this like little round black disc that you need to put over the red line and that's been the challenge for Yes, Apollo But everything everything else like getting there, no problem. No problem. Yeah, Finnish player who can't finish. It's it's a conundrum, right? Oh. Um <laughs> there's you know he's someone that really does trail like uh, i think it was for the entire calendar year 2020 i looked 2022 i looked at this who are the best finishers above expectation and below expectation and nobody was higher than zach hyman with wrist shots you know he was like the best mm. finisher with his backhand but his wrist shots it was i think it was 13 goals below expected and sometimes you just see players get snake bitten in that way but there are some players you consistently find on those lists brady kachuk is one of them because he generates so many chances. I think it's hard for anybody to keep up with the goal scoring at the rate that he does because he plays that net front role yeah. that only boosts the quality of those chances when you measure by expected goals. Um, but, you know, Jesse Pugliarvi is oftentimes up there. So I do wonder how much is the change in scenery going to work for him? And, you know, you could say, well, he had the best player in the world as his center for so, you know, for a good chunk of time and he wasn't doing it. But it's, you know, the Canes are such a different team. And what they need above all else, especially when you look at the injuries to Svechnikov and Pesciotti, is a finisher. So if anybody, if they need anybody to start doing it, he's the player that really needs to find a way to click in that capacity right now. You mentioned the best player in the world, and that's Connor McDavid. Um, Elliot and I talked to Jay Woodcroft last week, and the podcast just came out, was it yesterday? Um, and one of the one of my main takeaways from the interview was Woodcroft talking about McDavid and what McDavid's been able to do so far this season. And yesterday he crossed the 130 point threshold, so we got to go back to you know Yager and Lemieux in '95, '96. Um, since someone put up 130 points, and right now he's at 131. The last time we saw this at Edmonton was some guy named Gretzky. Um, and Woodcroft's there's one line. I want to get your thoughts on this and your thoughts on McDavid. There's one line out of the Woodcroft interview that's still sticking with me. And he said, when talking about McDavid, we can't become numb to what we're seeing. Like we have such a just understanding that Connor McDavid's going to do this, that it almost becomes like Connor McDavid is like wallpaper in our hockey lives. Oh yeah, there's Connor McDavid and 131 points. That's just Connor McDavid. And Woodcroft's point is don't become numb to it. Don't just treat it like it's every day because this is really special, what we're seeing from Connor McDavid. Like I think a lot of people in my vintage kind of got, I'll be honest, it kind of got numb to Gretzky because it's like, oh, yeah, another 200 points. Oh, well, whatever. And every now and then I think we do need that reminder like, hey, 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 like don't, don't numb yourself to this. Like this is really special what we're seeing out of Connor McDavid. Like, he's going to pass the 60-goal threshold like that. He's going to win the Rocket Richard. He's going to win the Hart Trophy. He's going to win the Art Ross, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Woodcroft's point is, don't numb yourself to this. I've been guilty of that. 
Have you been guilty as well, Shane, of numbing yourself to what we're seeing out of Connor McDavid? No, I don't think so because this is the most exciting part of Connor McDavid is his play. I mean, how can you not love it? Um, you know what? I think Sidney Crosby somewhere right now, he was listening because obviously he was listening. Why wouldn't he be listening to the interview? Um, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but Sidney Crosby's listening to this like, hey, yeah, definitely don't numb yourself to it. Look at what everyone did to me. Everyone forgets how amazing I am. Like last night, they, you know, the Penguins played the Rangers and they were talking about some stats about Crosby in, in the opening. And, it, you know, it's like 18 years he's doing this and everybody forgets. And I think last year everyone got bored of how good Crosby was and kind of ignored it when he was having a heart caliber season himself. And that was true for McDavid last year. There was definite voter fatigue. He could have won every single award, hands down. But we're like, oh, yeah, of course, throw McDavid in there. Sure, whatever. And apparently we weren't entertained enough. So Connor took it on himself to become an elite goal scorer, which he wasn't before. So definitely don't be numb to it. Enjoy <laughs> it. Appreciate it. This is what he's doing is so yeah. impressive because he's not staying at the same level of eliteness. He's taking it further. Last year, it was all of a sudden he realized he wasn't very good with the one-timer. So he started taking one-timers more and perfecting it as the season progressed. This year, he decided he just wants to play a game and all this and just kind of coast, which his coasting is elite. And all of a sudden go, I'm going to score a goal right now. And you see him put his head down, cut through everybody, and not just get to the scoring areas, but finish his chances at such a high rate. We have to appreciate this. Mm -hmm. There are not many players who can do it. And I think... It feels like last year at the you know during the playoffs what he did everybody was like wow he really is that good it's not just like flash and passes because nobody appreciates passing anyway it's the most under you know underappreciated part of the game i think they get bored by assist even though you could throw anyone on his wing and they're going to finish those chances except for Puyarvi apparently but um you know like <laughs> we we have to appreciate what he's doing and it can't just be in a playoff series we say it, it has to be throughout his whole career otherwise at the end we're gonna be like you know Connor mcdavid was really good while he's past his prime you gotta enjoy it while it's happening it, it's it's exciting every night the oilers are a team to watch every single night despite all of the chaos around them even when they were a bad team even when the goaltending was what it was and still kind of is even when the de defense was falling apart he made them an eye-catching event every night because of what he can do, and he's only taking it further. So yeah. we we can't be numb, numb to it. That's a really great quote. Uh, he's he's a really smart guy. Um, he, you know that there's there's something in there that I'm curious about. You said Connor McDavid in his prime. Do you think this is his prime, or we still don't know? Yeah, I think I so. don't know. I, I think so. I mean, a player's prime, generally generally speaking, by aging curves, um, I think it's like 22 to 25 for forwards. But the elite, yep. you know, they can have, I think, a longer, you know, time that's considered their peak. And the other part of it is their high level is so high that even when they're not in their technical prime and technical peak, it's otherworldly. Yeah. You know, by the time they decline into their 30s, which, you know, you're washed once once you cross 30 years old, it's over for you, right? Um, Stop. Stop. <laughs> I, I get a couple more months of talking like this, okay? And then I'll be crying with you, so yeah, it's I fine. Um, You'll be, but, be there soon, but, Shana. <laughs> but, you know, when you get into your 30s, too, and you're a player like McDavid, your decline is far above the average player, so it's always going to be exciting. It's always yeah. going to be good unless something somehow crashes, which I don't think anyone should ever anticipate. I think this is his prime, though, yeah. I think what he's doing now... 
he's doing something to extend his prime, I would say, because he's he's taking it upon himself mm. to just keep adding to such an elite toolbox and just build on it to just take over games. It's spectacular. Like, I, I think the Woodcroft point is a great one. And I know I've been guilty of just saying, oh, yeah, it's just Connor. It's just what Connor McDavid does. But like, it's still must see TV. Um, OK, so he's the fastest player in the game. I want to ask you about the slowest moment of the week. The total opposite of Connor McDavid. Did you watch the Washington Buffalo shootout? Yes, I did. What did you think of Kuznetsov and the very slow shootout goal against Lukanen? I didn't say his I- full name because we're running up against the clock. <laughs> I think that if we're going to complain about anything, it should be about the puck control. Did he look, we're all going to complain about something. We'll find something. We'll invent it. Um, And the shootout is like prime picking for that because so many people hate it as it is. I think the problem we can complain about is whether he controlled the puck the entire time and things like that. But just because he went slow, like, you got to get creative. Everybody expects him to be fast. What's the big deal? Um, Is it the most exciting thing to watch? No, but the way he was able to control his playing close and then go for that quick shot. I I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. If you don't like the shootout attempts and players getting as creative, there's enough rules to stop them from, you know, turning around and letting the puck off the stick at all. There's enough, there's enough rules there. You want to go fast or slow, by all means, get creative with it. Have some fun with it. So it's a different attempt, and I don't think it's one we're going to see all the time. It's one that you pull out once in a while to surprise a goalie. What's wrong with that? I absolutely loved it. I loved it, but here, here, here's what I, I – I actually kind of wanted him to go even slower. But here's the only problem. Here's the only problem with it. It was in Washington. I want to see him do that on the road. And just have the crowd get angrier and angrier and angrier as he approaches the goalie. I see nothing wrong with that. I think that would be a thing of beauty. And then by the end, and he pulls that move, like, that's a really tough shot to stop. Like, that's a really, like, the guy's got sick hands, as we all know. That's a great move. And, you know, most times, because Nensov's going to score with that move. And it's really tough for a goalie to stop it. And then just to see Kuznetsov do the finger to the lips to the crowd after scoring on that on the road. And they say this sport has no art, Shana. And they say <laughs> this sport has no art. Like in my perfect hockey universe, things like that happen more regularly. Um, one thing I want to ask, and I'm going to ask everybody on the show today. I mentioned this off the top. We'll, we'll end on this one. Jordan Bennington with a two-game suspension. That's fine. I don't want to talk about Jordan Bennington, but I want to talk about the unsportsmanlike penalty. Couldn't we call every penalty unsportsmanlike? Yes. Isn't that the definition of unsportsmanlike? There, there, there really is. Like when you, If you're going to crystallize it, there's no tripping. There's no slashing. There's no high-sticking. Isn't it all unsportsmanlike? Yes. We need to get more creative with names in the rule book. But we have bigger fish to fry with the rule book first before we go there. Very good. For another day. Um, We're heavy on time and you're awesome and you're very busy. Thank you for parking a lot of your day with me. And thank you for no goaltending, just vibes. It made me laugh last night. It's a great text. (laughs) Thanks for having me and having me in the bestie slot. I took Elliot's place in the bestie slot. Like I could get used to this.
You're in the bestie slot. I know. First segment is bestie slot. This is this is where we we lead strong. We lead for all you euchre players. We lead with the right bower uh, on this show. So thank you for being the right bower today, Shana. Thanks for having me. She's wonderful. Uh, from the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast, the great Shane and Goldman. Uh, George Richards still to come from Florida Hockey Now. We'll talk about the Panthers after that Boffo game last night against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Sammy Joe Small from the Toronto Six, president of that organization. Uh, Premier Hockey Federation semifinals this weekend in Toronto. Um, we'll go over those and we'll talk about the season. We'll talk about the Toronto Six and the Connecticut Whale. Best two out of three. That gets underway in... About an hour and a half. Uh, game two tomorrow afternoon at Mattamy. Uh, get into that with Sammy Joe Small and the weekend review with Matt Marchese. But joining me next, we'll head out to the West Coast and talk to Jonathan Davis from NHL Network Radio and the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. It just rolls off the tongue. I love the way it sounds. Uh, Jonathan Davis in moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Still the line of the day, no goaltending, just vibes. Welcome back to the program. Coming up in hour two, George Richards from Florida Hockey Now, Sammy Joe Small, speaking of netminders, uh, Toronto Six President, uh, Premier Hockey Federation semifinals this weekend. Minnesota, by the way, grabbing a game one lead against Boston last night. Connecticut and Toronto start to go down in about an hour and a half. Um, in the meantime, my good buddy John Davis, uh, NHL Network Radio, Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast, joining me now. What's up, J.D.? All right, Merrick, I drove 2,000 miles, and I made it into the studio, and you can't come in from Stouffville? That, that sounds like a Proclaimers song here on <laughs> St. Patrick's Day. I'm doing great. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I had, I had, you, know what I had, you know what I had to do today, actually? Tell me. This is, a, this, is a comment on, this is a comment on where we're at right now in the world. I picked up a car that I bought in October. Oh. <laughs> That's what I had to do this Well, morning. you know... I had to go pick up a, a purchase from October. So along that line, we had... It's an ep- epidemic yeah. in California. We had our catalytic converter stolen from our Prius. I ended up having to go buy oh, one boy. in Vancouver and get it shipped... You uh, did, eh? ...from Vancouver to California because there are only 10,000 on back order in the U.S. See, but a guy, a guy like you, like you just go in your backyard and pull some money off the tree and there's like a, a car just appears in your driveway. Yeah, See, For exactly. some of like the normal people like me where, you know, my money makes makes noise in my pockets as I, as I walk down the street, we have to do things like buy things and then wait months until we get a phone call saying, it's here, and by the way, hope you like the color. Well, and, and what color was it? Or is it? Oh, uh, it's it's a it's it's a dark gray. I really like it. It's really good. All right. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I've never had a dark gray car. I had a lot of black cars. Actually, pretty much all my cars, except for one, uh, which was a silver car. But I've always had black and black and silver. It's my first dark gray. Right. And Girl. so far, I've had it for about four hours, and I like it. Congratulations. Um, here's what else I here's what here's what else I like, JD. Yes. I like the thoughts of a Vegas Golden Knights, Los Angeles Kings playoff series for one reason and one reason only. Jay Quick. Esquire, your thoughts on? I know it was a tough one last night for Vegas. Yep, dropped a tough one to the Calgary Flames. But um, 
What have you seen so far from Vegas? What have you seen so far from Quick to uh, maybe get you uh, aboard the good ship? Let's see LA and Vegas in the playoffs. Well, I mean, it's been a great, it's been a really good run for sure. Uh, you know, four, four and one now. And, and look, last night didn't surprise me. I really thought last night's a bad spot, Jeff. You know, you've got a team in Vegas that just comes back from a very successful road trip. And I, and I always, you know, don't like it when a team, you know, you've got Vegas you know, first game back from a road trip. I, I thought that was a kind of a schedule loss. But Jonathan Quick has been really good. I looked to the Carolina game uh, over the weekend, and he was outstanding. Uh, he's kept them in games, mm-hmm. and he, he looks like a different goalie. And I think one of the things that, that Jonathan Quick has taken advantage of is the expertise and brilliance of Sean Burke who's the goaltending coach. And I think that Sean has, has made some tweaks uh, and, or suggestions to Jonathan Quick's game. And even at Jonathan Quick's age, he is still open to learning. And I think it's paid off early on for Jonathan Quick and the Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. How do you see, and by the way, um, Byfield to Kopitar, real nice. Uh, how do you see the Kings right now? Um, they're, they're, to me, they're one of the most, the most curious teams. And I, like many people, are just, like it just feels like it's about, to happen like one day all of the sudden much like it's already happened same draft class tim stutzla in ottawa we're talking about okay now it's actualizing the potential i know Dre may still be out with the the rangers on alexi lafreniere but how close do you feel it is for quentin byfield to as Berkey always tells us popping well look he is popping right now as the number one left winger that has worked really well the ceiling though is not for him to be the number one left winger, it's to be the number one center. But for now, the here and now, it's been great. And the pass that he made to Kopitar last night to set up the goal was a thing of beauty. A pass that he made to Mikey Anderson a couple of games ago to set up the game winner was a beauty. He has excelled big time. And so, yeah, right now they're flourishing. And the LA Kings, to me, look, you know, know, when Peter Baugh came on with you last week and he talked about you know, he felt that, you know, no one in the West really improved themselves. I, I kind of felt like, uh, L.A. really did. I mean, they added two big pieces and two pieces that they didn't have in Gavrikov and Korpisalo. When Gavrikov, I think, has been more than what they expected. Uh, he's jumped into the play, I think, more than they thought he would. And he's been a steadying influence on the blue line. So I, I really love what L.A. has done. Rob Blake deserves a lot of credit. He's got this team. I, I think, to me, Jeff... It would not shock me if they make the Western Conference final. That good, hey? I, I really do. You know, they played it, they play to a system, and when they play within what Todd McClellan has put forth, then they're really good. And they can survive the loss of a Kevin Fiala because they just plug and play guys in. So, you know, their top line right now with Kopitar and Byfield and Kempe, it's been a force. And you know, now you've got Corpusalo and Copley and Net. It's a it's a really good tandem. And with Gavrikov on the blue line, I, I think you know that that's something that they didn't have was that not just a left shot D, but a left shot D that can play a very tough game. So look, I've beaten up on the mm-hmm. LA Kings for a long time. I think now it's time to sing the praises. With um with Gavrikov. Uh, I know that he's not making any decisions until the off season. Do you know if the Kings have already inquired? Like someone mentioned to me, like that uh, that there was already an offer uh, for Gavrikov. Have you heard same? I haven't heard same, but it wouldn't surprise me um, I, because that is something that they so desperately need. So, 
you know, but I think, you know, right now what L.A. is focused on is just let's focus on this year because this roster, I think, next year is going to look di- different next year than what it is right now. But for right now, they're in a really good spot, and so I'm sure they made an initial offer, and and obviously he hasn't, uh, you know, put pen to paper, but uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Look, the other thing is I'm sure they would love to keep Corpusallo, but that one – could be tricky because they don't have yeah. a lot of goaltending in the system. I, they, they did make the trade with Buffalo uh, to get uh, the goalie from University of Michigan, but, you know, that's still a project. Alex Portillo. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Port- Portillo, and there's yeah. there's no guarantees that he's uh, that, that he's signing. We'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I was going to ask you about the net mining. Like, when you look at the future between the pipes, like, I, it, it very much feels to me like – Kyle Peterson continues to not be an option. We'll see what happens next season. Uh, Phoenix Copley has kind of come in, and even though it's not like he's rocking a 930 save percentage, he's kind of done enough to salvage the LA Kings season when they, you know, when it was touch and go and whether they'd be a, a playoff team or not. And to your point about Corpusalo, that's going to be a fascinating one. You know, I mentioned this on Hockey Night a while ago about how, you know, going back to, and I think it was a game against. It was a game against the Buffalo Sabres. Like that was a, like the last bad outing the Corpusallo had. And then after that, it's like the the hips. You know, he had flown to Lourdes and healed up in in holy water, and uh, the hips are totally fine. And he's been sneaky good, one of the uh, one of the top goaltenders in the league. And good on Rob Blake for recognizing that and bringing in Jonas Corpusallo um, on this expiring deal at a very very team friendly one point three million dollar cap hit. But I do wonder because he's a UFA next season. How different does this goaltending tandem look like? You mentioned that this team is going to look different. And are we also looking at at least one new netminder as well. Well, I would think unless you know something happens with Cal Peterson, you know, you know, he can resurrect himself. But obviously, you know, right now the faith is not there. And if you're Jonas Corposalo and you're looking at the contracts, I mean, for LA, the number has to start with a five where Cal Peterson is at. So, you know, they've got some tricky numbers to work with next year. And, you know, you've got Trevor Moore, who's got a new deal that kicks in at four plus you've got, you know, RFA and, yep. and Gabe Velarde, you know, that's going to be a, a, another big price tag. So they've got some deals, other players that they've got to figure out how they're going to fit them in. Uh, but I'm sure that, you know, if Corpus Allo continues this, you know, continues the way he is playing that I would, I would think and hope that they would make an offer. It's just, I don't know how they get themselves out of the the Cal Peterson deal. That's going to be a tricky one. So here here's one of the questions. Then I know I'm spending a lot of time here with you on the uh, on the Los Angeles Kings, but let me ask one more. This July, the Los Angeles Kings can sign on Kopitar to a contract extension. He's got one more season left at ten million dollars on the AAV, and then he is an unrestricted free agent and would be at the age of thirty six. Has there been any smoke? around Kopitar signing an extension this summer? I I don't know if there's any smoke, but what I will say is that, you know, the Anze Kopitar, Jeff, that we have seen in the last month looks like a much different Anze mm-hmm. Kopitar. You know, I, I remember talking to some broadcasters, uh, you know, national guys uh, early in the year, and they were telling me, God, Kopitar looks like a second, maybe even a third-line center. What's transpired mm. with him playing with Byfield and what Byfield has brought to the line in Kempe, you know, Jim Fox was telling me, like, Kopitar's the slowest guy on that line. Uh, he looks really good. And 
I, I, I think that, look, as long as he wants to play, he will be a member of the L.A. Kings. So does the, the number, you yeah. know, I think would be a more team-friendly deal. But uh, there looks to be a lot of life left in those legs for Anze Kopitar, and that's a good sign for the mm. L.A. Kings. And the other thing, Je- uh, Jeff, is that it, it would also help the progression of Quinton Byfield if he can continue to play a couple more years. True. Um, agree with that. All right, a couple more squads. I want to get your thoughts on the Oilers. Um, and Matthias Ekholm comes in at deadline. That seems to be a real hand-to-glove uh, fit there. Um, and you talk about you know long-term vets helping uh, helping kids. That's going to be a long-term help for uh, for Evan Bouchard specifically. Uh, we talk a lot about Connor McDavid. Uh, I've mentioned you know a, a couple of different times on this uh, on this podcast the idea on this radio show rather of of not becoming numb to the uh, to the idea of what Connor McDavid is is doing right now. That's what his head coach reminded me and Elliot the other day. Where is Jonathan Davis at on McDavid? Who, congratulations, he's a 131. Remarkable. <laughs> Season's not even close to wrapping up. And uh, and the Edmonton Oilers. Well, I think much different, you know, with Matthias Ekholm back there. Uh, you know, and to the point that you made, what he has done to Evan Bouchard and now allows Evan Bouchard to be Evan Bouchard is a big help. I mean, look, the, the question still remains is, is their goaltending good enough to get them through four rounds? And that, you know, Matthias Ekholm makes, I think, their makes that a little easier because you've got a guy that can stabilize the blue line. Hopefully in turn, you know, that takes away some of the better scoring opportunities. But for me, ultimately, like I, I still can't picture the Edmonton Oilers raising the cup with either Jack Campbell or Stuart Skinner as their goalie. That's the one concern. Like I, I kind of wish that, you know, that Ken Holland would have gotten himself Jonas Corposalo. Um, you know, when I look at what the price tag, he could have. Yeah. He like, could have last year. It would have cost the second and a fifth, I believe. Oh, no, second and a fourth. But that was Jonas Corposalo that was still very much feeling the effects of a surgery. Right, but you could have got him this year. Like, could you not? You like, could have. No, no, ab- no, I'm saying, like, yeah. all I'm saying is, like, th- they've had those discussions with Corposalo, albeit it was last year around, I want to say January. Yeah, so I, I think, like, that's the only concern for me. I mean, like, anytime you've got Connor and Leon and, you know, look, the health, here's the, th- here's the one difference, you know, with Edmonton as opposed to, let's say, a team like Los Angeles. Like, the LA Kings, if they lose mm-hmm. a guy, they can just plug and play someone else into their system. Edmonton loses, you know, whether it's Zach Hyman, Evander Kane, God forbid, Leon or Connor, it's a lot harder for them to replace one of their high-end guys because they just don't have that. So that's my only mm-hmm. concern with Edmonton is that, you know, if you lose someone up front, and we saw what it was like when they didn't have Evander, they become a much different team. It's true. A uh, couple of minutes that I have left with you. I want to get, and I'll, I'll just open it up to the floor, and, and you fill in and, and color in where you want here. Okay. Not is Seattle good, because we know Seattle is good. How good are Seattle? Well, and the general manager was yeah. pretty inactive at trade deadline. You know, this is bonus time, etc. We're not going to get frisky. We're not going to trade out Carson Soucy. We're not going to bring in anyone big either. How good are Seattle? Well, I think they're really good. I mean, they're four lines deep. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll go to a comment that, you know, when you were asking Mar- Mark Zeisberger yesterday about Buffalo and, and should they have made a deal, I, I think that Seattle can kind of fit into that same storyline like if you take someone if you bring someone in and take someone out of that lineup like what does that Mm -hmm. do inside the room so i wonder they call mark i think it's it's mike sorry mike 
Um, Mike, Mike's iceberg, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that I wonder how much that played into what Ron Francis, his, his thought process in not making a deal. But yeah, again, you know, Philip Grubauer has had moments of, of late where he's been really good. Uh, the goaltending yep. is still a bit of a question mark, but God, they play hard, they play fast. Uh, they've, they've got the components, and I think, you know, they're going to make life really tough for whoever they face in round one. Uh, but I don't know if they're really good enough to make it beyond round one. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't want to have to face them. Real quick before I wrap up, got about 30 seconds for this one. Who are we all sleeping on? Is there one team out there, West, East, whatever, your choice, that many people, if not everybody, is missing? Wow. Well, I'll say Los Angeles. I really, I don't think that people realize how you good this is. You think that much of them, eh? Yeah. I do. I really do. I, I, I just, Jeff, I, I've been so down on this team for so long. I really think people <laughs> are sleeping on them. I, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, they're sneaky good. They're sneaky good. We will be watching. Uh, last year felt like they were playing on house with house money, and yeah. it was fun time, and they really stretched the Oilers and almost won that series. We'll see what happens this time around with uh, with Los Angeles. Uh, JD, you're the goods. Uh, thanks for going into studio. Much appreciated. Next time, we'll, uh, we'll do it properly, and we'll go out for lunch, too, and Matt Marchese will pay. How about that? Oh, that's a great idea. Great idea. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. <laughs> he's he's he has got to open up that onion wallet of his. We call it his onion wallet because every time he well, opens he bought it, me he a coffee crying. today to start. Whoa, he's hang he's he's actually starting to spend his communion money finally. <laughs> yes, Maddie, congratulations. <laughs> That's great. George Richards, Sammy Joe Small coming up. Hour two's on the horizon. Keep it here. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And welcome to Hour 2. Coming up here in about 20 minutes or so, Sammy Joe Small, the president of the Toronto Six. Uh, It is a six and the Connecticut Whale facing off in the semifinals of the PHF in Toronto at the uh, Madame Athletic Center. Meanwhile, uh, Boston and Minnesota. Minnesota grabbing the one-game lead last night, shocking the uh, defending Isabel Cup champions there. So we'll uh, uh, get on the PHF page here in about 20 minutes' time. Also, George Richards uh, from Florida Hockey Now. We're standing by uh, for him. And we can review all the things you may have missed. I'm suspecting there's a certain netminder in St. Louis uh, whose name may come up this week, and maybe another netminder in Minnesota whose name may uh, come up as well, but uh, we can review with Matt Marchese coming up towards the bottom of the hour as well. Uh, A few games on the go around the NHL this evening. A couple you can watch on Sportsnet 1. Starting at 7 o'clock Eastern, it's the Buffalo Sabres and the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, It's a 1975 Stanley Cup final all over again. Uh, I always sort of get nostalgic when I see these two teams match up against each other. I don't know why this always takes me back to my youth, but much like the same way that whenever I see the Buffalo Sabres and the Boston Bruins, the old Adams division, uh, facing off against each other. Sabres and Flyers, 7 o'clock Eastern, Sportsnet 1. You can watch that one later on Sportsnet 1. Uh, you can watch the Columbus Blue Jackets and face off against the Anaheim Ducks in the Connor Bedard Bowl. I don't know how how else you can sort of hype this one up. 
Um, the St. Louis Blues take on the Washington Capitals at 7 o'clock as well. Uh, the Capitals try to continue their march into a playoff spot. I can only hope, as a hope against hope, uh, for every Washington Capitals game, that this thing goes into a shootout just so we can see Kuznetsov once again crawl to the top of the crease and then make a sudden move and score. St. Louis Blues and Washington Capitals. Uh, St. Louis without the services of Jordan Bennington, Joel Hofer, as we all know, has been called up from uh, from the American Hockey League. The Carolina Hurricanes facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That one at 7 o'clock uh, as well. Carolina, one of those... Listen, I, you can't call them sneaky good teams because they're just a good team, and they're a team that can definitely uh, make it to the Stanley Cup final and could win the Stanley Cup as well. The point that I've been making about them most recently, not so much a point, just sort of a hope. Much like I talked about Kuznetsov, you all have these little hockey dream things you want to see. I really hope it works out with uh, with Jesse Pugliarvi and the Carolina Hurricanes. I know I kind of sound like a broken record on this one, uh, but I have a real soft spot in my heart for Pugliarvi. I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people obviously in Carolina want to see this thing work out. Um, I know a lot of the naysayers and a lot of the people that sort of ran him out of town in uh, in Edmonton probably don't want to see him do well for reasons but I like this player. I think he's real talented. I would love it if things worked out with Carolina and Yesipol Yarby. So looking forward to this one tonight. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Always good when two powerhouses uh, go head-to-head. Sabres and Flyers, as I mentioned earlier. That's, um, man, I feel bad for Buffalo. I shouldn't say that. I feel bad about what's happened this season for Buffalo because I was in the camp that wanted to see Buffalo more of a disrupting force for playoff positioning and wanted to see them sneak in. You know, I think we wanted to see a little reshuffling of the deck here right now. Those wildcard spots are looking like the Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Although when it comes to Pittsburgh, ah, who knows what you're going to get. Even if they get there, who knows what you're going to get. Florida Panthers making some noise there. We'll talk to George Richards, hopefully in a couple of moments here about the, uh, about the Florida Panthers. Um, but I was really hoping the Buffalo Sabres were going to make more noise. Uh, I know a lot of people were hoping the Ottawa Senators were going to make a lot more noise. It looked there for a little while, like the Detroit Red Wings were going to make more noise. But then, interestingly enough, it was the Ottawa Senators that put the final nail in that coffin and sealed Steve Eiserman's decisions um, about his team this season and put Tyler Bertuzzi back on the market only to end up with the Boston Bruins and start to look more towards the future with the Detroit Red Wings. Maybe things will be different next season. Um, Washington, one of those teams knocking on the door, Florida Panthers, one of those teams knocking on the door, uh, Pittsburgh going to try to do whatever it takes to hold on and, uh, and stay in a playoff spot right now. Um, the Islanders who have games in hand against nobody, Real nice win the other night. They've won, was it three in a row now for the Islanders? Um, and all of a sudden, by the way, and again, it's a quick audit, but I know Maple Leafs fans might not want to hear this for everybody listening on 590 in Toronto, but Pierre Engvall looks really good. <clears throat> Can you say that a little bit louder, please, Mr. Merrick? Sure. 
Um, Pierre Engvall looks really good with the Islanders. What is it? Three goals in three games for Pierre Engvall. It's never any denying the skill for whatever reason. Hasn't worked out. Didn't work out in Toronto. There were a couple of teams that were interested at various times this year in Engvall. Islanders end up getting him. I know Maple Leafs fans said, good riddance. Don't let the, don't let the door hit you on the, on the way out. Here's your hat. What's your hurry? Um, but Engvall, and again, it's early, but Engvall looks real good with the Islanders. We'll see what happens there. Oh, and by the way, if you're like me, and hopefully you're not for a lot of reasons, but if you're any parts like me, you're cheering for the Nashville Predators to make it in. I think the playoffs are always more fun when Nashville is involved in it. Those games are insane. The fans are crazy. The atmosphere is fantastic. And that was a crusher last night, losing 2-1 to one to Chicago. Ugh. If you're going to make it in, those are the games you have to win. Tomorrow afternoon is a biggie. Winnipeg Jets in Nashville to face off against the Preds. That one underway at 2 o'clock Eastern, some afternoon hockey Enjoy it. Preds trying to claw their way in. Winnipeg trying to stop the bleeding. Florida Panthers, meanwhile, really making a case for themselves. And Florida Panthers yesterday putting a real stamp on the Montreal Canadiens. What was that thing? Let's ask George Richards, our good friend from Florida Hockey Now. George, first of all, thanks for joining me. Second of all, what was that thing last night? I don't know. I, I, we still don't know what last night was. Uh, it was uh, one of the craziest first periods of hockey I've ever seen. Um, like Paul Maurice said, there were, there were more goals than scoring chances. There were goals scored that had the goalie <laughs> left the net open would not have been goals. I mean, it, it was incredible. I think yeah. the, uh, the expected goals in the first period last night were like 1.2 and the Panthers end up with seven. So it was just, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 was, it was nuts. It was nuts. Now, I know, I know just before you hopped on with me here, you were talking to Paul Maurice. What were some more yeah. of, uh, of his takeaways from, from last night? Hey, listen, you know, they're going to burn the tape of last night. There's really nothing that they can get from that. Um, what he did like was there were three or four guys that kind of stuck with the program. Guys like Radko Gudis that still played defense and, and kind of didn't go nuts with it because it is kind of hard to, to rise above the chaos in, in a situation like that. Um, but I think they're looking at it as a one-off. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky you know, gives up three goals on the first three shots he sees and then doesn't see yeah. sh- shot number four for what seems like an hour. So uh, you know, kind of a weird game for him. Uh, you know, listen, they got New Jersey coming in here tomorrow. That's a big game for Florida. New Jersey's still, you know, playing yeah. for some stuff there in the Metro. So I don't think we're going to see that tomorrow. Hey, are you, you mentioned Rako Gudis a second ago. Are you surprised he survived deadline? Uh, no. Um, I, I think that the Panthers would like to hold on to him. They'd like to, to keep him. I'm surprised that they haven't announced any kind of a contract. I mean, you would think that you would, if you're going to, keep him even would have announced something by now um they really like him and listen florida is very thin defensively they, they don't have a whole they don't have any uh defensive depth so trading a guy like gudis um for what what are you going to get for him a third round pick how do you sell that in the room when you're a handful of points out of the playoffs 
Um, the answer is you can't. You can't sell that to the players and say, hey, guys, we really think – we really believe in you. We really think you can make the playoffs, mm-hmm. and we're selling off, you know, one of your, your best defensemen for a third-round pick. That just doesn't fly. Um, Matthew Kachuk continues to excel last night. I know it's a burn the tape night. I get it, but four points is still yep. four points. Sure. Uh, and he continues, you know, with, with all due respect to Alexander Barkov. I mean, he is, Matthew Kachuk is one of the leaders on this team at every single skill set that goes into, uh, making a hockey player. He seems to excel. And interestingly enough, I was making this point in the first hour with Shannon Goldman from the athletic, you look at all those players that were either, you know, that either went to Calgary, uh, or left Calgary. He's had the best season of the bunch and it's not even up for discussion. Yeah, it's not even close. And Hey, listen, the the different situations though, right? I mean, you know, we, we were taught when, when Jonathan Huberto and and Mackenzie Weger came back to South Florida back, I believe it was in November. We talked to Daryl Sutter about it. And he was asked about, you know, the Matthew Kachuk just keeps on chugging while, you know, the Florida guys seem to be mm-hmm. struggling in Calgary. And Daryl Sutter put it simply, Kachuk was the guy who wanted out. He, he was the one that asked to leave. Meanwhile, you know, Huberto and, yeah. and Weger kind of get a call at 1130 on a Friday night saying, sorry, guys, um, we're sending you to somewhere else. So there was a shock that they had to overcome. Whereas Kachuk really didn't have anything to overcome. He was like, I'm ready to jump into something new. And here we go. Here's something new. Mm-hmm. But he's been absolutely terrific for Florida. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, I know, uh, I believe it was Shana that, that, that gave him that nickname, the, the unicorn. And uh, he really is that. I mean, he's a ter- I mean his passing is completely yeah. underrated. Something people brought up, you know, when True. they f- trade first happened. You're like, hey, you're losing this terrific playmaker in Jonathan Huberto. And I was like, but this Kachuk fella, he can pass pretty good as well. He's not he's not Huberto. He doesn't have eyes in the back of his head like Huberto does. But uh but Kachuk yeah. can find you and he's got a really sneaky, really sneaky good pass. Um, I know it's only been what five, maybe six games for Anthony Declair since he came back, yep. but uh Audit so far on Anthony Duclair. Listen, his the, the good thing is the speed's back, right? Because you always worry about um, guys with the Achilles sure. um, being a step, half a step slow. And they say that, you know, it takes another, once they get on the ice, it's another six to eight months before they're fully recovered, maybe even a year. Um, we don't see that right now with Anthony Duclair. You couldn't tell that he's lost, he, he was out for any period of time. What you do notice, I think, is the timing. You see pucks hopping over his stick a little bit. I think that's going to come with time. But he's flying through the zone. He's given Florida a different dimension that they didn't have because, you know, you, you, you can't coach speed. And, and Anthony DeClaire has it, and it's back. And uh, he's looked good. Um, I, you know, the points, the goals, all that stuff's going to come. But I think, honestly, the timing just has to get there because you, you can see, even in practice today, uh, Barkoff fed him with mm-hmm. a real nice shot, and he just couldn't handle it. It was just one of those things like, yeah, this guy hasn't played hockey in eight months. So, you know, it's coming. When I uh, when I look at the Florida Panthers, a couple of things come to mind, and, and one of the things is coaching. And this is a team that, you know, uh, really quickly went from Joel Quenville to Andrew Brunette yeah. to now Paul Maurice. What's the effect been? I, 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 no, I whenever think, there's like a, a lot of coach a co- coaching volatility, it's always like there's a couple of guys that just sort of sure. seem 
out of sorts. Like it's 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 always tough to uh, tough to adjust sometimes uh, to a new head coach. But what's uh, what's what's it been like? What's it been like with you know three coaches in a year essentially? Well, yeah, I mean, and it's not only that. You look at a guy like Sasha Barkov. I believe this is his eighth, ninth season or something. I think he's on his seventh or eighth coach. I mean, it you know this this team is yeah. you know changes coaches pretty frequently. Um, and then that was supposed to end with Joel Quinville. I mean, that was supposed to be the end of the carousel here in South Florida. Um, and that really wasn't yeah. in their control what happened with that. But anyway, um, I think it took them a couple months to, 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 really, to, to really adjust not only to the style, um, to the systems that, that Paul Maurice and his coaching staff brought in, but just to – they look tentative. They look slow. Somebody from Montreal yesterday said, hey, last time we saw Florida – they look really slow. Well, they don't look slow anymore. They look more like last year's team with a little more defensive bite. And I know that's crazy coming off a five-goal game against Montreal. But the Panthers are definitely playing better defense than they did a year ago. And now you're starting to see them come through the zone a lot faster, a lot cleaner. They're, they're, they're getting some, some goals that, that they were getting last year, which they did not get in November, December, or January. Um, they've they've, they've mm. been a much better team since they've had time to kind of marinate in this system and, and with this new coaching staff. How do you think this team, like, let's, let's get ahead of ourselves here. And I know, you yeah. know, the Penguins are going to try to hang on here and the Islanders sure. are going to try to hang on and, you know, Washington's going to, you know, still try to try to make a push, but let's, let's blue sky this thing for Florida Panthers fans and say they get into the playoffs. So one of the things that, um, uh, that I feel strongly about is a team like the Islanders aren't necessarily built to get to the playoffs, but when they get there, the way that they're built and the players they have, generally those types of teams tend to do very well. When you look at the Florida Panthers, um, right from the coach to the starting netminder to the first line center to the third pairing defenseman, how do you think this team is built for the playoffs? Again, assuming that they get there. Yeah. Well, that's kind of been the running joke down here is that, you know, that's what Paul Maurice has been saying since training camp, that they want to play a style more conducive to postseason hockey. And the joke's been, well, you got to get there first, right, pal? And, you know, yeah. when the team was eight, nine, ten points out, you know, it wasn't all that funny around here. But, but now, yeah, I, I think the Panthers, they saw what Tampa Bay has done to them the last two years. Uh, two years ago, Tampa Bay beat them in six and in kind of a, a kind of a more wide open first round series. And then last year they just absolutely shut them down. And I think that's one thing that led to the Matthew Kachuk trade. Um, you know, the, the Panthers want to be better in, in the close spaces. They, they know that the, that everything shrinks, that the ice shrinks in the postseason. Um, and, and that's something that I think that they've, they've had to learn this year. And to back to your, your, your previous question, the Panthers were slow to react, but I think they've kind of got a handle on it now. I think they kind of know exactly what that style entails, and um, they're, they're starting to thrive in it. Uh, they're still not all the way there. And, and Paul Maurice even said in training camp, it might take them a year, year and a half to really get through it because this is a hard, hard way to play, especially when you just like going up and down the ice and scoring at will. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a harder part of the game. And that harder part of the game is what wins in the playoffs, and that's what the Panthers are trying to be. Let me ask you about All-Star. Uh, let me ask you about All-Star Weekend. Actually, the, uh, the every, everything in and around All-Star. Um, yeah. This year hosted by the Florida Panthers. 
what was the effect? And maybe we won't know it until, you know, the next sure. couple of seasons still, but like what, what was the sort of the, the immediate effect in the marketplace by having the all-star weekend there? I think there was a lot of excitement about it. I think the NHL and the Panthers did a real nice job of spreading the events around, uh, well, not South Florida per se, but Broward County. They didn't do anything in Miami as usual, but that's another story for another time. Um, you know, they, they had the, the, the fan fest in Fort Lauderdale Beach, which was well-received and well-attended. Unfortunately, uh, weather ruined the last day of it. Um, but, yeah, I think it was a lot of fun. I think that the, the fans had a lot of fun. Uh, we know the players had a great time down here. And, you know, this is just a great place for those kind of things. And when you hear the NHL say that, you know, there's a rumor about, you know, kind of a rotation for these things, kind of like the Super Bowl, this, you, yeah. there was nobody calling out sick for this one to come to South Florida because they were like, yeah, free, free, free flight to Fort Lauderdale, we're there. And it, and it was it was nice. It, was, it, it really, as far as growing the game and everything, look, this team's been here 30 years. I mean, you, you know, people know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, that, but things like that, those special events, certainly uh, open up some eyes and some casual, more casual fans down here. Um, let me finish up by asking you about Paul Maurice. Uh, and you just spoke yep. to the Florida Panthers bench boss there a couple of seconds ago. Now, I did um, I did color for the Toronto Marlies AHL team for a couple of years. And one of those years, Paul Maurice was the head coach. Um, so I got to talk to Paul a lot and traveled uh, a couple of times as well. Um, you know, exotic locales like Rochester and Syracuse, etc. Um, and would sit at the front and, and pick and pick Paul Maurice's brain, right? And he's a really like yeah. he's one of the more thoughtful people that you're going to meet in the game. What have you learned from Paul Maurice? I mean, you've covered this team for a long time. You've spoken to a lot of coaches. Uh, what have you been able to glean from Paul Maurice, who really is a wealth of info? Oh yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. It's like every every press conference is like a dissertation, right? Um, in this in this world of, of quick sound bites, you're not getting that from Paul Maurice. You're not getting, you know, the how did you think you played today? I thought we played great. Or you're not getting that. You're getting a a blow by blow description of what they did right, what they did wrong, how they can fix it. Um, you know, all within that same question. So he's going to break down the game, um, not after watching the film, but but eight minutes after the game was complete, he's telling you you know, all kinds of things about the game and what went right, what went wrong. And um, while it's not great to, to, to call one encapsulating quote, you could get two, three, maybe four stories out of one of his press conferences because you learn so much and, and it's really been in-depth stuff. And, um, yeah, the guy's a walking, talking hockey encyclopedia. He really is. He's one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, listen, this uh, the Florida Panthers story is a good one. It's uh, it's interesting. It's uh, I think we all really want this to be a, a, a real good race. Um, yesterday went, uh, I think, a long way in piquing people's curiosity once again about the Florida Panthers. Anytime a team has a first period like that, and then the game yeah. ends up 9-5, and there's multiple goalie pulls and Kachuk's putting up a four spot and like you're going to get some buzz around your team. You mentioned the Devils game uh, tomorrow. That's a huge one. And then the schedule gets a, a little bit easier, a chance to, to pick up some points here against the Red Wings and the Philadelphia Flyers. Tomorrow is absolutely huge for the squad. Uh, enjoy it, and we'll check back soon. This is, uh, this is a fascinating team to cover once again. 
Yeah, this game's never boring, right? I mean, <laughs> never a dull moment with the Florida Panthers, I'll tell you that. No, that is, uh, that's the truth. George, thanks as always for stopping by. I really appreciate All right. it. All right, anytime. We'll see you later. Thank you. George Richards from uh, Florida Hockey Now. Big two points against uh, Montreal yesterday in a bizarre, bizarre game. Um, and, you know, the the situation with the Florida Panthers this year has been kind of a weird one. I think we all expected them to take the next step, I suppose. You know, winning around last year, beating the Washington Capitals, even though it looked dicey to begin with, uh, only to get trounced by the uh, by the Tampa Bay Lightning, their, their, uh, their in-state rival. Uh, that's always a tough one for the Florida Panthers. Now, maybe this was the year that they were bound to take a small step backwards, but I don't know many people who thought that they would be clawing and scratching and fighting for their playoff lives, and at times this season completely written off as having no chance to make it to the playoffs. All of a sudden, the Florida Panthers are a scant few points away, three points out of a second playoff spot, um, and two games in hand against the New York Islanders and three points out. Now, I know the Islanders are in tough, too. Uh, they continue to win. They're not going to make it easy. But uh, this is a fascinating situation right now. And if they can do it, I look at the Panthers kind of like I look at the Islanders. They're maybe more built as a playoff team than they are a regular season team. Could they be able to do something as the underdog cats? We'll see. I mean, there's a lot of talent on that squad. And, you know, very quietly. Like, I know we talk a lot about Matthew Kachuk, and he's been fantastic, 87 points in 64 games. But, you know, Carter Verhage's popped 30. And Carter Verhage's got 32 goals. Um, he's had a real, real nice season. Barkoff, uh, in an injury uh, plague season, has 56 points in 53 games. He's still one of the best players uh, in the entire NHL. Uh, Sam Reinhart has 23 goals. Like I know these aren't the, the the crazy numbers that we saw coming out of Florida last season, but still some real good numbers, some real good performances by the Cats. We'll see where it all goes. Tomorrow's huge. Big game against the New Jersey Devils. These games are all really starting to mean a ton as we're uh, as we're down the home stretch. Uh, we'll hit a break. We'll try to get in touch with Sammy Joe Small and talk about the PHF semifinal weekend uh, in Toronto with the uh, Madame Athletic Center. Also, a weekend review coming up with Matt Marchese, uh, a weekly staple around these parts. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Semifinal weekend for the Premier Hockey Federation, the PHF. In Toronto, it is the uh, sixth facing off against the Connecticut Whale. Also, Minnesota stunning Boston with a uh, grabbing a one nothing series lead. Uh, we'll see what happens there with the defending uh, defending champs, Boston. Uh, in the meantime, Sammy Joe Small joins me now. She is a uh, Olympic gold medalist. She is a world champion as well, and is currently the president of the Toronto Six. In advance of a game that's going to begin in about ninety minutes, I believe. Sammy Joe Small, how are you today? I'm great, Jeff. How are you doing? 
Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for uh, for joining me. I know game day is always uh, a tricky one, so I appreciate uh, you parking some time uh, with me. Um, a couple of things here. So help me help me tee this up. So Toronto and Connecticut facing off. Best two out of three. Game one starts in about 90 minutes. Game two goes tomorrow. Game three, if necessary, on on Monday. What has this season been like for you as the president of this organization? Well, it certainly has been a whirlwind, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on. I mean, it is, you're right, 90 minutes until playoff time. This is what we gear up for all season. I feel like every weekend that we have games, we um, try to outdo the previous weekend of games. And now that we're at the Madame Center, uh, we have 1,500 tickets sold. Uh, we have some great activations for kids and uh, older fans alike. And it's just, I think it's just going to be amazing. Um, but at the end of the day, it is mm-hmm. a hockey game and incredible skill on the ice. And like you said, uh, Boston, who uh, won the whole season, got upset last night. So it's about focusing on the game and, um, you know, trying to not just win today, but uh, tomorrow as well. And um, this is what the whole season comes down to. This is why we love the playoffs. And front and center will be Brittany Howard, who uh, I'm a big fan of. Tough not to be a, a fan of Britt. Uh, your thoughts on, on her on the six and your thoughts on her season? Yeah, she is incredible. I think everybody should be a fan of Brittany Howard. Um, I was with her with the Toronto Furies back in the day. And when uh, I heard that, you know, coming in, we were going to um, have Brittany Howard this season, that was a real big coup for us. And she's been not only just a leader on the ice, but off the ice as well. And she is just a thrill to watch. I mean, she's really one of those players that um, every time she steps on the ice, she creates something and, um, I can't wait to see her in the in the big lights uh, of a game like this because she seems to just take that extra step and get better with every single game. And when the pressure's on, that's when the real Brittany Howard comes to comes to shine. You know, this is a really talented team. I mean, that's no that's no secret to you. Whether it's Darkangelo, whether it's Woods, and I want to get the Daryl Watts here in a couple of seconds. Um, do you have a thought or two just of the 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 talent on this Toronto Six team? I think it surprises a lot of people. It certainly did surprise me when I first came to the organization back in uh, September of this year. I guess, you know, within the world of women's hockey, uh, there's a lot of big names, and those huge names are not on this team. But that doesn't mean that that huge skill is not on this team. And most of these players have played either U18 or U22 at the national team level. They've been stars on their college teams. And they've been playing every single day for the entire season. Uh, they're full-time hockey players, paid professional hockey players, which to me is still incredible to be able to say. And uh, that means that mm-hmm. the, the expectations are high, but they also treat it as if it's their full-time job. And um, I think fans that come to watch our game are pleasantly surprised by just the amount of skill that is on the ice. And you named five or six there. I could name probably another dozen that uh, would be stars in any league around the world. Well, go for it. Who else should we pay attention to? I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the handful that I, I mentioned there. I, I do want to, I do want to get to Daryl Watts here in a second, but um, who, who else do you think we should watch? Well, let's, this afternoon let's be nice and, to the other team. With well. the Connecticut, yeah. Let's be nice to the other team. The Connecticut whale have two incredible players. Um, Abby Ives, their goaltender uh, has really kept them in a ton of games this year. Um, I really, I mean, as a former goaltender, I really enjoy watching her play. I think she could be a difference maker mm-hmm. for them. And then Kennedy Marchment, who was the MVP of the season last year, top leading scorer, 
um, also an incredible player. So, I, you know, I've got to pay homage to the other team on a certain level. But then uh, with our team, sure. we also have uh, Sora Tinker, uh, who has just been incredible, not only on the ice, but off the ice, a real role model and mentor for uh, so many um, around the GTA and really across Canada. Um, and then beyond that, like you said, uh, there's uh, Daryl Watts. There's uh, Katie Tabin, who has led the entire league uh, defensively in scoring for the Toronto Six this year. Um, I think we'll probably get Defender of the Year. Um, and it's just not only offensively gifted, but really defensively gifted as well. So just, I mean, I could go on and on and on and talk about these players, but what they do on the ice is so spectacular, but just them off the ice and their realization that they really are role models and um, superstars within the GTA and within women's hockey yeah. right now. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Soraya Tinker. Now she's, and I'm not trying to wrap up her career here, but all I'm saying is, when it comes to Soraya Tinker, I think we can all see that whenever she decides that she's done actually playing, man, she'll have a field of options. Like Tinker is one of those people that I look at and say, whatever she wants to do or whatever her comes into her brain, she'll be able to do it. Like this person will have so many options. I mean, even in broadcast, you come take this job tomorrow. Like Tinker can w walk into our shop and say, yeah, you know what, Merrick, you're out. Uh, Tinker's in. Uh, I think the world of her, and I think that you know, whenever she's done actually playing, whatever she wants to do in hockey, she can probably do. Oh, and she's uh, intelligent, a Yale grad. Uh, I mean, so media savvy. She, she and she, more yeah. than that, she really gets it. Uh, being the executive director of the Black Girl Hockey Club, she has uh, mentees often at practice watching her play. She realizes that. You know, it isn't just about her, but it's about what she represents. And she's really trying to build the community and provide positive role models. And I can't say enough about her. And you're right. Whenever she decides, she'll step into an incredible career. We just hope that she decides to keep playing hockey for a lot longer. <laughs> Talent's still there. The, uh hasn't lost the hands, that's certainly for sure. Um, let me ask you about Daryl Watts. And this was, you know, very much considered a coup um, when, when Daryl signed with the... Uh, uh, with the Toronto Six of the, of the of the of the PHF, how much of a peek behind the curtains? How much of a peek behind the curtains can you give us as to how this entire process happened? How she was able, or how you guys were able to to bring her into the PHF? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I don't think there's too much of a peek. We're pretty open and transparent with um, everything we do. So when a player graduates from college and they're one of the top players, we um, uh, go after them, you know, and that is both uh, Angela James having conversations with them. Um, it's sending out emails. It's letting their coaches know that we want them to play. And the PHF and specifically on our team because we're recruiting and constantly recruiting. And so the same went with mm -hmm. Daryl, and she had indicated that she didn't want to keep playing. And so that doesn't mean that we don't stop trying. And we kept trying throughout the uh, entirety of the first half of the season, and it really wasn't until the salary cap was doubled and they announced that we were going to have a salary cap of uh, 1.5 million American, which is essentially 2 million Canadian, that she decided that she wanted to get back into it and that it, the time was right for her and that she felt like she could – make a career uh, playing women's hockey. So she was off the ice for 10 months. We signed her, and literally two days later she played. Um, it's taken a while for her to kind of get her step back, I would say. Um, but mm -hmm. last weekend she was named second star of the PHF, and I think she's peaking at just really the right time. She's had 
now two months under her belt to get back into game shape, and that's not easy. Any any uh, beer league hockey player knows that if you go a couple of weeks without playing, it's tough to get back on the ice, uh, let alone <laughs> when you're trying to be at the highest possible level. Yeah. And so it uh, it has taken a little while, but she's worked so hard on and off the ice. And um, she really, I have been so pleasantly surprised with her demeanor off the ice and what she's willing to do and to sacrifice. I mean, she's constantly doing uh, media interviews. She's um, going to the ends of the earth yep. to have those extra conversations with the little kids at games and um, realizes that she is a superstar within the game and, and doesn't take that lightly. And so um, she's just been such an incredible ambassador for our team, but also for the game as well. And uh, sharing her message has been so positive. Um, before I wrap up with you, and I, I know it's game day, so you have plenty to do, I'm sure. Um, the nice thing about talking to you is you can zoom out and go big picture. Like you've always been someone that's had a handle and been able to provide like, okay, give me the, give me the, the, the slice of life right now. Like what's happening with the, with the women's game as, as you look at it right now. And I know that everybody has a different perch, but from, from your perch, um, vis-a-vis the women's game, where is it at as we speak on this Friday afternoon? Well, isn't that the biggest question that we would all love to know the answer to, but, um, I would say from my vantage point, women's hockey is at a place it's never been, which is an incredible space to be in, in that um, there are so many eyeballs on us. There is so much uh, investment in the game. There are so many people that care. And I know for myself, who played Angela James, who's my general manager, Geraldine Heaney, uh, those two are in the Hockey Hall of Fame certainly have toiled away in obscurity for a long time. That is no longer the case. The fact that people care and want a future for us in the game is incredible. Now, I think what the Premier Hockey Federation has done, um, I didn't even realize when I stepped into it, you know, having come from what is deemed to be the other side, I felt like it was almost, um, I didn't want to take that leap. And coming into it, I felt like, you know, maybe there's not much there. Um, I didn't know what the talent level would be like. And so my first time that I saw a game, the talent level was surpassed any level that I thought. But also stepping in as the president, I had 24 staff members working for me. I had no idea that the organization, uh, that all of them in the Premier Hockey Federation had built up to this level. And I had no idea the amount of investment, partnerships. Um, it just really is a real business. And so as much as you know, people want to um, create... Um, sort of a he said, she said. Um, if they want to say, say that there's two sides, it's really um, difficult because I think what we have created here in the Premier Hockey Federation is absolutely incredible and that um, it's an entire business. It's about the investment. It's about creating a great investment to um, have a huge valuation for the organization, um, just like any other uh, professional uh, sports organization. So, you know, from the big perch, it's, yeah, I, I want the best for the other side. We'll say the PWHPA, I want the best for those players. Lots of those players are still really good friends of mine. Um, but if you want to work in the game, you have to work in the, in the PHF. There is no other opportunity to actually work unless you're a player. So we have attracted some of the best and brightest minds within the game. And I, I can't wait to see where this goes with the, Regan Carey at our helm as a commissioner. It just is, I feel like we're on the verge of something really incredible. And just the fact that we have 1,500 um, tickets sold to the game at Madame today, 
um, at Old Maple Leaf Gardens. I mean, that says a lot for a semifinal game in a um, women's professional hockey game. And um, it's uh, it's going to be exciting. I hope we can make it all the way to the Isabel Cup. But just I think what we have created so far and the PHF has created so far, all of the people that have been a part of it should be incredibly proud. Game one coming up in uh, just over an hour. Sammy, uh, it's always a delight. You be well. Uh, good luck with the uh, Toronto Six as they face off against Connecticut. We'll see what happens between Minnesota and Boston if Minnesota can complete the upsets. We'll stand by. Thanks so much for doing this today. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks so much for covering the women's game. It does mean a lot. I really appreciate it. it I've always said, Sammy, if you're interested in capital H hockey, you co- you cover and should be interested in the women's game because the better the better that women's hockey does, the better it is for everybody in the industry. Uh, thanks so much, as always, for stopping by. Thank you. Sammy Jo Small, uh, she's a gold medalist. She's a world champion. She's the president of the Toronto Six, game one. Uh, between the Toronto Six and the Connecticut Whale coming up at Madame Athletic Centre in just over an hour. Game two tomorrow afternoon at the Madame as well. Uh, do, 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 do. do we have any updates? No, but we're getting... Oh, hang on. Here's something. Uh, it sounds like... And I mentioned this on Hockey Night a couple of weeks ago. Valtteri Pooley, who's a big defenseman, uh, looks like he will be signing with the San Jose Sharks. More update on that here as I will start digging after the show goes off the air. Uh, Meanwhile, Matt Marchese, how are you? I'm good. Do you want some more breaking news or somewhat breaking news? Yeah. Uh, It looks like Devin Levi is going to be signing with the Buffalo Sabres shortly, according to our pal Elliot Friedman, who's still working while he's not doing this Mm -hmm. show. So good for Elliot. Elliot, you're supposed to not be working. You're supposed to be with your family for a couple of days and not working. He can't do Even it. Though eh? He returns texts like two sec, two <laughs> yeah. seconds after I said it to him. Like, first of all, thanks for responding, but go be with your family. I don't expect anything back right away. Yeah, you can send um, it to me at midnight. Well, you know, that is an exact. Yeah. Ex- well, you know, that isn't exactly a surprise. Um, so Northeastern would have lost to uh, Providence last Saturday. Devin Levi, who was a big part of the Sam Reinhardt uh, Buffalo Florida Panthers deal. Um, here, the only question that I have of Levi is, do they jump him into any NHL games right away? Or how many NHL games does he play here down the stretch? Well, how much of that has to do with like where I, I don't think they're making the playoffs. I think we're pretty certain about that and like just too many teams to jump. So you just say, okay, we're going to put this guy in here. And if we catch lightning in a bottle, then great. If we don't, then whatever. He's getting NHL reps. Yeah. But then they're burning a year off his ELC as well. Do they want to do that? Does he want to do that? The uh, the agent there is Ian Pulver. I don't know. We'll see. That'll be right So I'll, thanks. So another story that I'm chasing here at 2 o'clock. Now you're giving me homework as well. Thanks so much for that, Matty. <laughs> Anytime. You give me homework all the time. Actually, you give yourself homework. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's bad. Okay, you want to do the weekend review? Uh, yeah, let's do it. We, uh, we've we got about like seven minutes here off in the program. Let's uh, let's blast this one off. Yeah, so... Uh, what that... did we just see, Matty? What happened? Yeah, so that, uh, that Connor McDavid guy is good again. Um, he's been all year. 130 points... And that's the first time since Yarmir Yager and Mario Lemieux did it in 95-96 that a player has reached 130 points. He's now at 131. Um, it, does he get to 150 here, Jeff? That seems like a foregone conclusion at this point. I think so. 
It's crazy. Right? He's at a one, 131 now. Why not? Here, here's my here's my question about Connor McDavid at this point. Do you think they rest them at all? Man, if he's going, I for- think they rest him for the playoffs. I know, I know, we're looking at this spectacular season. I get it. Um, but if you're Jay Woodcroft, do you look at those last couple of games and say, you know what, we need you healthy and fresh for the playoffs? We're already tucked into a spot. Take a break. Even though, to your point, we're looking at this massive season for the Oilers. Yeah, like I'm healthy, fresh, and do you really want to risk and I don't want to say the I word, but there it is injury in those I, last couple of games. I, I think the here's here's how I kind of look at it. Does Connor want to do that? Because that's who's gonna determine this. Like the coaching staff can say whatever they want, and management can say whatever they want, but I feel like ultimately, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like ultimately it's gonna be Connor's decision whether he wants to play out the rest of the season. And with 150 potentially on the docket here, I can't imagine that he's going to want to sit it out because we know like he could go into the last game of the year and you know, he's six points away and they go, Oh, we're going to sit you. There's a very good chance that Connor McDavid could put up six points in a game <laughs> and get to 150. Like, so that's how I kind of look at it. Like if, the, the last guy to get to 150, if, Jeff was, uh, yeah. Mary, um, uh, I can't, I can't, I'm going to, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll check this out and then we'll get to it. But it's been a while since somebody got to 150. Well, here, yeah, I know. So here's um, if if they do end up sitting him out somewhere down the road here uh, to rest for the playoffs, please let the press release say um, Connor McDavid being held out for playoff related reasons. <laughs> PRR. Much like if a team wants a yeah PRR, just like we want to hear uh, lottery related reasons when they start scratching guys to improve lottery odds for either Anaheim or Columbus or Chicago or whoever else is in contention at that point. Maybe even Philadelphia. Who knows? They're Whispering about you know getting into that mix now too by way of performance. So ninety two nine lottery so, related reasons, uh, playoff related reasons. Nine, yes, ninety five ninety six. So the year Lemieux had one thirty and Yager had one thirty. Lemieux finished with one sixty one in seventy games. Yeah, it's gross, man. <laughs> it's gross. Um, it's gross. all right, moving but on. That's the season that that. But that's the season Connor's having, man. I and know. Like, seriously, like, I, again, I keep coming back to Woodcroft. Don't be numb to it. Like, no, appreciate don't think it. That this is normal. It's not. It's awesome. And yeah, appreciate it. And it's a he's a freak, Connor McDavid. The Jeez, the, the question at this point is, what's he going to win the scoring title by? Because that could be of of legend too. Like how many points he ends up. Winning right the title now, it's by. 30 points. Yeah, and it could be like right now, we could be Bryce talking about has got 101. Yeah, <laughs> imagine winning the scoring title by oh, 40 no, points. Gonna, it's probably gonna be, I don't know, if I'm gonna throw a dart, probably 35 because it's not like Dreisaitl is gonna slow down, even 35. Dreisaitl is gonna keep piling it on, even 35 is ridiculous. It's so stupid. Um, okay, moving on. Speak, uh, this one's a tough one. Um, Andre Sveshnikov out for the season and for Carolina, you know, they brought in Max Pacioretty to help them score goals and Svechnikov, like we said, got off to that great start, cooled down a little bit, but was playing better of late. And now he's done for the year. And you look at Carolina and I say, I wonder who's going to score goals for them in the playoffs. Cause I don't think it's Jesse Pugliarvi and his big helmet. Um, and I don't think it's, I want it to be, <laughs> I know you do. I know. I know. Here's what you want so bad. because you love chaos. You want a Carolina Edmonton Stanley cup. And Jesse Pugliarvi is the star of the Carolina hurricanes. That is your, that is kind of your dream. 
to have Jesse Pugliarvi carry the cup in Edmonton. <laughs> but there was some weird portion of the fan base that really liked every- him, though. Not a weird part. The it part that like part. you know pays attention to things like underlying numbers and understands you know defensive metrics and how much he actually brought to a game. Other than oh, he's not scoring. Get him out. I mean, no scoring good. helps. Scoring is a good number. I don't know, man. <laughs> I in in well, there's 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 two players. I mean, there's a few players that I really love on this team. But there's 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 I mean. I've talked a lot about Martin Natchez, probably too much. I'm going my Natchez fanboy vibe. Um, but Natchez had a great season. I really like uh, Jesse Pugliarvi. I love Jacob Slavin. Um, Brent, Burns is, Brent Burns is a rock star. But I'm, I love what Pyotr uh, Kachetkov does. Yes. You, you, right? Like, isn't he one of your favorite goaltenders? He's my favorite goaltender because you weren't here the day that we reacted. Kachetkov is? Yeah, I lo- I just love the fact that he's like he's just a little bit crazy, Jeff. I like goalies that are just a yeah, little bit crazy, like not like Binnington. That's another thing entirely. But like Kachetkov, the f- that week that he had where he scores a goal, gets into a fight in the same game, <laughs> then tries to fight the next night, then he gets called up, and then he gets a yeah, shutout. Man. Like that's that's the greatest week in hockey history. Yeah, I love it. And um, who was I saying? I was talking to Stan Narodka, our researcher at, uh, at Hockey Night. Stan does research for a lot of other teams like St. Louis Blues and the Avalanche, etc. I think Vegas as well. Um, we were talking about this on Saturday. There was a Kachetkov who was the stick boy for the Soviets in 1972. Mm-hmm. No relation to Pyotr Kachetkov, uh, netminder for the Carolina Hurricanes, but he did coach Pyotr Kachetkov in junior in Russia for I think at least one season. That's your so there is that's sort of Jeff Merrick's world coming full there. circle. It's pretty cool, eh? <laughs> I, when I found that one out, I'm like, ooh, that's a that's a juicy one right there. Yeah, Car- Carolina would be fun. Carolina but here but you know what it's interesting because crazy goaltenders now stand out more so than ever. Once upon a time they were all nuts. Mm-hmm. But I've long lamented the fact that goalies are just really normal now. Like goalies are just like kind they're of boring. everybody else now, aren't they? Yeah, they're boring. Yeah, we want return return of the crazy goaltender. Like you know what? Give I, me that guy again. You know who Peter Kachetkov reminds me of? He reminds me of Michael Keaton in the in the uh, first Batman movie, where he says, "You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts." I feel like that is the slogan <laughs> for Peter Kachetkov. That has to be it. Um, yeah. Speaking speaking of it. speaking of crazy, we just got a couple minutes here. Um, Jordan Bennington goes crazy, gets two games. Uh, unsurprising. The Mark Andre Fleury mic'd up where he's saying, "Let let's go, come on, I, I you got to let me go here, you got to let me go here." It was fantastic. Um, and then it leads Excellent. us to uh, Joel Hofer gets the start tonight for the St. Louis Blues. So we talked about um, Devin Levi mm-hmm. a couple of seconds ago. I think, again, I think, because I think there are a few teams that were involved in him. I think San Jose tried to get um, tried to get Sam Reinhart, and I think St. Louis did too, and I think part of that conversation revolved around Joel Hofer. Like, I think that Joel Hofer is, well, he's the goalie of the future for the St. Louis Blues. He's really good. Sure is. Joel Hofer is an excellent, an, an excellent netminder, and I think that... You know, there if 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 Reinhardt was going to end up in St. Louis, I think Hofer would have been um, 
uh, would have been the goaltender we we're talking about with the uh, with with the Buffalo Sabers. Um, I wish we had more because I got a bunch of stuff on Hofer that I like talking about. Um, but we're out of time. Uh, Matt, do you want to do a closing thought on the week? Yeah, you know what? I, I just you? yeah. The if we can get more games like we saw between the Panthers and the Canadians, like Shana said, um, no goaltending, just vibes. I think the NHL will be much better off. <laughs> No, I don't want. I don't want all the games like that. I like no, it every now more. and then. I don't more. want every game like that. Maybe a little bit more. So specific here on the program. Um, Connor Lamont filling in for Lance Kennedy. Thank you very much, Jen Rolnick. Thank you as always, and Matt Marchese, um, the finest producer, right there. Um, Shanna Goldman from the Athletic. Thank you very much, uh, and the Too Many Men podcast. Jonathan Davis, who went into studio, and Maddie bought him a coffee. Attaboy, boy, Maddie.